college. You haven't seen him in years. Army, I'm your only sister. I'm, I'm like a single mother. I'm just trying to enjoy myself. Fine. Yes. Thank you, Al. Oh my God. Where's your mum? She's gone off to a festival. He's picking you up. My uncle Al. Hey, man. Just to remind you about the rent next week. Okay. You've been late the last two months. This is a pretty simple gig. You put a poster in a window, you take a picture, you give me the picture. They need to be up by Friday. You can count on I need to get to Kenny now. What's the smoking like that for? Can you fix this for me, please? I sell tires, I'm not a mechanic. A clip there from Poster Boys, the new Irish movie in cinemas this week. It's about Al Clancy, who's played by Trevor O'Connell. He gets stuck minding his 12-year-old nephew for the week after his sister buggers off to Primavera in Barcelona for a week. I remember being able to go to things. Uh, at the same time, he has to go on a cross-country work trip, putting up posters in a number of shops. It's basically, it's an Irish uncle book with a bit of Perfect World and Little Miss Sunshine thrown in. It's directed by first-time writer-director Dave Minogue. He had previously served as an assistant director on the Michael Flatley movie Blackboard, of all things. That film is evading the public eye better than Lord Lucan at the moment. It was funded by Dragon's Den entrepreneur Bobby Kerr. He put up the entire €25,000 budget. Just to put that into context, for a film, £25,000 would not pay for a lens on a camera for a week on a, a film like Black Widow, which is also released this week. Speaking of cameras, it looks absolutely beautiful. It doesn't look cheap. and All the locations are shot like a, a Falcher Ireland ad. Dublin, Kilkenny, even Cork manages to look well. Joke. It's smart, it's funny, it's sweet, it's very, very endearing. There's some absolutely cracking one-liners in well. There's some really good performances. You've got people like comedian Justine Stafford. She has this all-too-brief cameo as the Tinder date from hell. You have Joe Rooney, who played Father Damo and Father Ted. He is great as he usually is but for me the mvp is keith duffy he is absolutely hilarious in it we have this weird snobbery about actors and soap operas here and in the uk that they just don't have anywhere else you look at people like russell crowe chris hemsworth they started soap operas and they're doing pretty okay and even things like happy valley uh, a couple of years ago sarah lacaster who played uh, raquel incarnation street fantastic actors who just don't seem to get an opportunity because they were on a, a soap but Duffy here, he shows up like a caffeinated bunny rabbit and it's just great to watch. One thing I will say, there is moments in this film that feel very rushed. I know obviously the budget played a role in that, but there's a couple of threads that are left dangling. There's things like exploring the cost of living in Dublin and references to, to suicide in one of the towns that I would have liked to have seen explored more. Look, not every first-time writer-director has the confidence or the ego of Tarantino to start their first film with a 15-minute conversation about tipping and the meaning of Madonna songs, but I will say the word that kept coming to me during this film was potential. Two leads making their debuts, and there's absolutely more to come from them, but but to be honest, I am very excited to see what Dave Minogue does next. I hope he gets the budget to make what he really, really wants, because... It looks as beautiful as any Irish film I have ever seen. There's some really snappy dialogue and the central theme of basically All You Have Is Family is done far more engaging and far more exciting than something like Fast 9, which it shares the multiplex this week. If he can make a film like this on the fly from no script to complete it in eight weeks, I am very excited to see what he can do when he's afforded a chance to explore his ideas, to give them a chance to breathe. And Poster Boys on its own is absolutely worth the go if you want an alternative to the, the superheroes and the supercars 
definitely check it out. It is a hundred percent worth going to see, and it's just it's just great to see Irish films in cinemas again. It's been a while since we had this, you know, there seems to be a resurgence as of late, and I think this is definitely one at the front of the pack that is absolutely worth your time. You don't know everything about me. I've lived a lot of lives before I was an Avenger. Before I got this family. I made mistakes choosing between what the world wants you to be. A clip there from Marvel's latest Black Widow. Joining me on the line now is Chris Wasser and Olivia Fahey. Chris, first of all, this is the first Marvel movie post the biggest movie of all time in Endgame. What is the plot point of this and where does this movie take place? Yeah, I was a little bit confused when Black Widow was finally announced because, A, we've been waiting 10, maybe 11 years for Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow to have her own solo film. And B, without spoiling anything, something happens to her character in Endgame that we thought, hmm, how can you have a sequel uh, that involves this character? But it's actually a prequel, and it takes place between the events of uh, Captain America Civil War, which was released uh, five years ago at this stage, and Avengers Infinity War. And it answers a few questions in terms of what was Scarlett Johansson's Natasha Romanoff doing when, after the big battle, you know, the way some guys ended up in this weird high-security superhero prison, and then others went on the run. It turns out that Natasha Romanoff was also on the run and she was being hunted down by uh, everyone that they used to work for and she was you know doing making you know she was rather successful at at, at hiding Um, but unfortunately something happens and an enemy that appears that sort of has ties to her past which we've never really explored in the uh, in the Marvel films before and it ends it ends up that Natasha uh, follows a trail which leads her back to Budapest which leads her back to the family that essentially raised her she came from this family of spies now they weren't her real family but they certainly acted that way for years and you know through her formative years and that's where her training began so it's a film all about you know Natasha's training as a kid, the family who raised her, how she has to seek out that family to help bring down, you know, the whole Black Widow unit, all the while trying to remain hidden from the people who want her in a superhero prison. I think that makes sense. I think it does too. Olivia, we touched on it there with Chris. I have no problem spoiling it. Endgame was the biggest film of all time. Spoiler, Black Widow dies in the movie. This movie is set, obviously, <laughs> b- between those events and when Civil War is happening. Is there stakes in this film, or does it feel like a filler episode? Like we've had the, the TV series with WandaVision, uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier, now Loki. Does this feel like kind of giving Scarlett Johansson her own film, something which Chris said as well should have been done maybe years ago, just as a thank you for her work on the Marvel Avengers? Or does this go anywhere? Is there real stakes to this? To a certain extent, there are like stakes in the film for her. But because, of course, we know where everything ends up it does kind of dilute it a little bit. And to be perfectly honest, I actually think that the two highlights of the film was Florence Pugh and David Harbour. Mm. And for it to not be Scarlett Johansson, I actually think that's such a slap in the face for the actress because she gave so much to the franchise that to not give her, well, she has a starring role, but she wasn't really the starring role. Um, For this film, it's just, it's so not the way that she should have gone out. I actually found the film very disappointing overall myself. purely just because it was a bit of a mess and yeah the family dynamic is great like that's probably one of the best scenes of when they're all reunited again that's one of my highlights from the film but that shouldn't be my highlight from the film the highlight should be that you know ScarJo gets her send-off that she so greatly deserved and she just didn't get it at all 
I actually had the opposite opinion of that. I thought, well, she's a producer on this. I think she would have a lot of say in her own film. I think she was instrumental in picking the directors and the writers. I thought it was a kind of egoless in a way for her to not be front and centre of her own film and may pass that on to, to Florence Pugh and to David Herbert. Chris, you obviously felt the same as Olivia and didn't agree with me. Actually, I'm so I think I might be somewhere in between, which is might be a shock to the system, Andy. I, I, I think um, one of <laughs> the best the things about water this film, <laughs> one of the best things about this film is Florence Pugh's uh, character Yelena. I think her name is. Uh, she has all the best lines. Uh, her, her fight sequences are brilliant. Her character background is there. It, it really does feel like an origins film for this character Yelena. And Florence Pugh more than delivers because this film it 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 has great humor. It it has a lot of charm in David Harbour and Rachel Weisz's casting as the sort of uh, surrogate mother and father of these two killer spies. There's a lot of fun to be had there. Uh, it looks amazing at times. But it's when you start to bring all of these elements together that it becomes a bit of a, and Olivia already said this, a bit of a mess. The whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, do you know what? This is fairly ironic now, given that, you know, uh, we're finally getting a Black Widow film at a time when Marvel is venturing out into television. A Black Widow series would have been a much better idea because after 11 years, you think finally we're getting Natasha's backstory. It races through us. To the point where it, the first 20 minutes, it does feel like a bit of a montage. It does feel like a, you know, a, a best of clip. So here's what happened on last week's Avengers. And you're thinking to yourself, no, this is not DC. Slow down. Give the character, her, 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 uh, you know, the, the, the time and, and put the craft into it that you did with, with Iron Man, with Thor. And it's also such a shame that it relies so heavily on the Avengers films. I mean, barely five minutes goes by without someone making jokes about the Avengers, without saying the word Avengers, without reminding you of your, what, what's happened and the fact, and also without, without reminding you, um, it, it barely goes five minutes without reminding you that this is before Endgame. Remember that. So it's a little bit, there's a bit too much exposition there. The tone is a bit jarring. The performances are great, but I just wish it had been a series. And also if I can just say, there are no stakes. It does feel a bit inconsequential at times. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of odd that for a film that reminds you at one stage that Black Widow was one of the weaker Avengers, i.e. she's not this god-type figure. You know, she is destructible. She can die, as she does in Endgame. Sorry for spoiling it again. She is thrown through so many walls and characters <laughs> get seven shades beaten out of them every five minutes. And they just get up, laugh, make a quip and get on with it. And I'm just thinking, no, you have to have some consequences. I say I did like the fact that it wasn't, you know, it didn't, it looked like it was going to end, you know, the big master plan and the blue light in yeah. the sky. It kind of veers towards that territory. Olivia, Marvel had some fantastic villains in the likes of Loki, but then some not so good ones in Malachi the Dark Elf. Ray Winston here playing a Cockney Russian and Taskmaster, the, you know, the, the voiceless assassin. How do they hold up by comparison to the other villains in the Marvel Universe? Sorry, you just took me off guard with that comparison of Ray Winston's character. Um, uh, Woeful, absolutely woeful. That was actually another one of the big disappointments for me is that the Taskmaster had been built up to be like this massive reveal and then the reveal happens and you're kind of going, who the heck is that? And Ray Winstone just could not could not keep his accent straight in any way, shape or form. I actually, when he was first introduced, um, when he's talking to David Harbour's Red Guardian and you just don't even know if he's actually the big bad or if he's the henchman. And I always kind of feel that like, if you are the boss at the end of the the video game, the big boss that you have to defeat, you know, they should have a bit more gravitas. Whereas he definitely came across as, you know, the mini boss, the henchman, the someone sent out 
to go and take care of things and then report back. He didn't actually have that kind of presence that mm. you want from your from your villain. So no, like for me, like Black Widow is probably Marvel's first massive misstep. Like I know um, Iron Man 3 wasn't well received. Thor Dark World wasn't well received. This to me is the bottom of the barrel. Like that's how disappointed in Black Widow I am. Oh, so I'm going to get some scores from both of you. It doesn't sound like Olivia's is going to be fantastic. So, Chris, I'll start with you. What do you think out of 10? Yeah, I think I liked it a little bit more than Olivia, uh, but at the same time, it did some, have some major problems with it. And Olivia, I should also say that every time Ray Winston appeared on screen, I half expected him to jump back into the role he played in the Sweeney movie and just turn around <laughs> to Natasha and say, Oi, Black Widow, you're nicked. And it's just <laughs> exactly. it so distracting. So terrible villain. But there is something there. I thought it was, I thought the performances were quite charming. I just wish it had, you know, if you needed another 11 years, lads, you should have taken it because there really is something there. It's worth the watch. Just don't expect anything special. So I'll go with maybe six out of 10. Oh, six out of 10. Not too bad. Olivia, what about yourself? Oh, like only because the performances of the widow sort of like family unit were so good. I'd give it three out of 10. I would be, think I slightly enjoyed it more. I would go 7 out of 10. And I will also say I spotted in the credits Ray Winston's accent coach. So I hope they kept the receipt for that one. <laughs> Released on Netflix now is the ninth film, if you count both Kill Bills as one and don't you know remember Four Rooms, which to be honest, I kind of hope I do too. It's Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his magnus opus love letter to old school Hollywood. Olivia joins me now from Evoke.ie and Chris Wasser. Olivia, would you be a Quentin Tarantino fan? Do you know what? I kind of am. It's one of those directors where you go in with a certain level of expectation, you know what you're getting, and usually it's highly entertaining, high-octane action, and a few laughs in between as well, and a killer soundtrack. And I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does like fall into this category, but you don't think it does at first. The way that he's gone about it is, it's basically a very bloody Tarantino film sort of like in the latter half or latter act anyways um but for the first um say 75 percent it's a very artistic and kind of like through the keyhole look at Hollywood and focusing on um DiCaprio's Rick Dalton and his stuntman Cliff Booth played by Brad Pitt and it's a it's a it's an interesting take on a story that we all know, which of course involves Margot Robbie's Sharon Tate and kind of turns it on his head in the fashion that Tarantino does. So from that standpoint, it is a, it's definitely a Tarantino film. Like there's no doubt about it. The amount of feet that appear in the, in the <laughs> film, like there's no denying that it's a Tarantino film, but there are moments where you're kind of like, oh, I didn't know that he had this in him. Now, I still think it was probably a little bit too long for my liking, but at the end of the day, it's one that I would definitely be turning on um, now that it is on streaming. Chris, this is the one that got Brad Pitt his Oscar. He's playing, yeah. as I said, Rick Dalton's stuntman, Cliff Booth. Kind of a, a darker role, with a, it kind of reveals the backstory of that character. Do you think this is the Oscar-worthy performance in Brad Pitt's career? I, I, I do, actually. I thought he was magnificent here. Um, I think he got the tone just right. Um, he kept uh cliff a bit of a mystery to the point where there is this running thing throughout the film where we know that cliff's wife died under um unsettling and very mysterious circumstances and it's suggested that he might have killed her but at the same time you're kind of thinking but did he 
did he really you know um and he keeps that mystery going um the whole way through um but he's also a reliable he's also great with the comedy in this film because cliff is kind of you know he, he walks around as though he's completely untouchable he's showing up on sets where he's not welcome i mean at one stage he threatens to you know uh beat the crap out of bruce lee which is a very controversial move for, for tarantino at the time um and he does it with his tongue firmly planted in his cheek he knows that tarantino is having fun rewriting this famous hollywood story because it is that simple thing of what if another actor and what if that actor's stunt double lived next to Sharon Tate and would that have played would that have had any sort of impact or, or changed the events that led to Sharon Tate's murder well maybe and here's a three-hour film all about that um I, I quite I, I I have seen this three times now I think so clearly there's something about it that that keeps me coming back for more and I'll probably watch it again what keeps me coming back to Tarantino films maybe is that I like the I love the ideas at the center of his film. He is at this stage a franchise unto himself. And he's the only filmmaker working today whose original film, maybe aside from Chris Nolan, um, but he's the only uh, filmmaker outside of, you know, the summer blockbuster sci-fi action thing who, you know, announces an original project and will garner the kind of attention that maybe, you know, Spielberg gets for his franchise work even though you're going into a completely original story, something that he sat down and had a blank page in front of him and just came up with these characters out of his head. He's the only filmmaker left who kind of gets you excited about those original stories. Now, the past few haven't really been... He, it's been a long time since we got a perfect Tarantino joint. A very long time, actually. But there's still enough there in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to fall in love with. I mean, with there, there, there are entire sequences in here where not an awful lot happens, but it's just such a joy to watch. The performances are amazing. The cinematography from, from Robert Richardson is just glorious. It, the soundtrack is always on cue. There's always a, a, a great punchline every two or three minutes. I did enjoy this, but what I will say to anyone who hasn't watched this, you know, you're 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 going to need an awful lot of patience, and 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 you might and you might need someone to give out about it with afterwards. So maybe watch it with somebody so that you can have a good a good rant about it afterwards. I'm about halfway through. He's after releasing the the novelization of this one. Oh. It seems that he couldn't shoot, and it does actually spoil the reveal of whether or not Cliff killed his wife intentionally. Oh, I don't know. I, I wasn't don't know. I wasn't happy about that <gasps> at all. Oh, I don't. No, no don't. No, tell me. I, I'm not going to spoil it here. But what I will that was spoil so is you part of the charm. Ah. Okay, can we go back and talk about that again? Because that's really good for me. <laughs> <laughs> what has been spoiled, though, is Chris referring to as a Tarantino joint, which is up there with Olivia calling herself a Disney. So you're you're both on my, my personal blacklist now. <laughs> Olivia, Tarantino said he's only going to make one more film. There was He was speaking on, on Joe Rogan this week, saying one of his ideas was to reshoot Reservoir Dogs, his first film, now to see the progression of him as a film director. Would you like to see something like that? Or do you want an original Tarantino joint to quote Chris, hopefully for the last time? No, you, you want a new film. Like Reservoir Dogs is one of his most famous, most beloved films. So why he would, dare I say it, try and tarnish it, you know, because we've seen like remakes haven't really gone down very well and things like that over the years. But would it be different if he's at the helm? I don't know. It just makes me nervous because, like I said, Reservoir Dogs is something that is like many, many people's favorite film of all time. So it, it could anger a lot of people. Whereas if he goes for something new, then at least he's just adding to his catalog rather than potentially bookending it by ruining what started off his directing career as such. Um, yeah, no, no, no. 
no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask both of you the same question. Chris, I'll start with you. Olivia said Reservoir Dogs, they're one of the best films of all time. But yeah. in Tarantino CV, what would be the standout for you that is your personal favorite Tarantino? Oh, movie? Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, 100%. And I think part of the reason... Uh, which I knew you'd go for the hipster choice. I know. It's <laughs> choice. But, you know what? It kind of... Um, and I'm conscious to myself here in terms of, you know, Tarantino presenting an original work and how, you know, that's, that's one of uh, the things I, I like a lot about him. What I like about Jackie Brown is that he was adapting a novel and the material was there for him to play with. And he he couldn't, I mean, he added some flourish. You know, he brought something new to the material. I think the the, the original novel's uh, um, Rum Punch, I think is, yeah. is the name of the Elmore Leonard, yeah, Leonard novel. Yeah. Uh, but what, what basically that novel, you know, it kept him, it put reins on him. And there were only so many things he could do. He couldn't really change the story that much. And it was mostly in the character. It was mostly in the dialogues and the way he shot it in the soundtrack. That's where Tarantino showed us what he was capable of. So it's a great story that has a beginning, a middle and an end. And he tells it very well. So it's Jackie Brown for me. Uh, And also don't make Reservoir Dogs. There is only one person in the world who thinks that's a good idea. And his name is Quentin Tarantino. Everyone else does not need that. (laughs) Olivia, what's your favorite? Um... I think it's probably Pulp Fiction, actually. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't a mad fan of um, The Hateful Eight, but I think Pulp Fiction just has that quintessential Tarantino-esque thing, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it just it, It's just the epitome of all the things that make a Tarantino film a Tarantino film. I love how the story actually kind of like jumps around. I'm not usually a fan of time jumps and whatever but I think the way that he did it it actually worked in his favor um and it actually still had a really nice flow the different characters the way that some of the stories linked up um throughout the film it's just one of those films where you can just watch it time and time and time and time and time again and you will spot new things that you never noticed before and that's what I enjoy from a film is that if it makes it still interesting still exciting then I'm more likely to go back and keep watching it. Um, otherwise, it's a one and done. And well, that's not very exciting for a watcher or for a, a movie maker either. So for me, I think, yeah, I think it has to be Pulp Fiction. Tarantino has you know, revived a, a number of actors' careers. Is there anyone, Chris, that you could think of off the top of your head that you would like to see cast in a Tarantino film to get that career revival? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, what I would say is Quentin, maybe give Nicolas Cage a call. Uh, I think Quentin Tarantino and Nicolas Cage could create something bonkers and but brilliant together. Um, maybe also, I'm going for another male actor here. I know Sam Rockwell. Uh, I think Sam Rockwell. Uh, you know the kind of energy and the and the unpredictability he brings to his performances that could work really well with a with a, with a Tarantino joint, Andy. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> maybe may, maybe those two. Olivia said quintessential, which I'd washed the taste of that out of my mouth. So <laughs> you, you've ruined it back then. Olivia, who would you like to see in a, a Tarantino movie getting the star revival treatment? Well, I'm going to virtually slap Chris because he just stole the name that popped into my head, which was Sam Rockwell. And it's one of those ones where it's like, I actually had to think to myself, has he been in a Tarantino film? And then I realized, actually, no, he hasn't. But he should be. Like him and Seven Psychopaths comes to mind. It's like something like that would be in a Tarantino film, like hands down, it would just fit right in. So I think he'd definitely be someone that could do a, a very good job in in a film like that. Now, does he need a revival? Now that yeah. remains to be seen, but 
I think that it could introduce him to a whole new audience because he has been kind of going down like the, the indie route for a little bit, aside from um, Vice, of course, where he played President Bush. But I, I yeah, Rockwell was the, was the first name that popped into my head. And I, I still, I'm, I'm going to stand by that. Chris, we're in agreement, oh. actually. On oh, that we one. are in agreement. Oh, can I just say as well, in terms of the career revival thing, because you're absolutely right, Sam Rockwell doesn't need a career revival. Nicolas Cage maybe needs a, a bit of a, you know, a, a, a mainstream a leg up. hit. <laughs> but but for, uh, for an actress who really uh, deserves just a great leading role, uh, you know, 20 years after her last great, you know, dramatic leading role, Kay Hudson. Just call Kay Hudson, Quentin, and write a film around her. It doesn't matter what it is. I think she deserves something like that. I was going to go with Sigourney Weaver, but I think, yeah, Nicolas Cage is probably the, the winner in that bunch for me. <laughs> Olivia Fahey, Chris Wasser, thank you so much for joining me. That's all we have time for this section of We Love Movies. Thanks so much for joining us.